Hi fellow Maris and other listeners, welcome to this episode of the Maris Association of St Marcelin Champagne's podcast. I'm Tracy Dublay from the membership team and today I'm presenting a collection of readings from the September edition of our Christ Life publication. I'm sure a few of our listeners will be starting school holidays with more to follow next week, so enjoy the break everyone. To read the full edition, check your email inboxes from last Wednesday, 13th September, or go to the Association website, marisassociation.org.au, and click on the News menu tab, or scroll down the homepage to the latest news. Now, our Meet Maris this month is Marita Dumerek from Kilmore, and thanks to the people who read their contributions for this recording. This episode, our editorialist is Peter Monaghan. Now, Peter is the CEO of Maris 180 and has written a piece on the issue of housing and homelessness. We all applaud the work Peter and the team at Maris 180 do with young people in New South Wales and their families. We also have stories and reflections that weren't recorded from Brother Mark O'Connor, Brother John Luttrell, the Formation Team and the Secretariat of the Laity, There's also a report and photos from the regional gatherings that were held in Inner West Sydney and Eastern Sydney on the 31st of August. Um, I encourage you to read these stories in your Christ Life email. Okay, listeners, grab a cuppa, settle into your seats and let's go. Hello, fellow Marists. It's Peter Monaghan here, the Chief Executive Officer of Marist 180. And the editorial I've written for the September edition of Christ Life is around the issue of housing and homelessness in Australia. Homelessness is not a choice, but a circumstance. In his encyclical letter, Laudate Si', Pope Francis articulates the nuanced distinction between a house and a home. He states, a house becomes a home when it is filled with the warmth of human relationships with the harmony of solidarity and the joy of shared memories. Here, Pope Francis emphasises that a mere physical structure, a house, transforms into a meaningful and spiritual space, a home, when it becomes a vessel for human connection and love. In the Darug language, similarly, the phrases for house and home carry distinct cultural and linguistic nuances that reflect the deep connection between Indigenous Australians and their environment. The Darug word for house denotes a physical structure, a shelter or a dwelling place, emphasising the functional aspect of a building, a basic necessity for survival. In contrast, the Darug phrase for home encompasses not only the physical dwelling, but also the spiritual an emotional connection to the land. It embodies the sense of belonging, identity and attachment to the environment. It conveys a deep-rooted relationship with the land and the feeling of being one with it. Today in Australia, we have an ongoing crisis, not only in access to secure housing, but a safe place to call home. It is a problem in our communities that goes beyond ruthlessness and a lack of access to safe shelter. The experience of homelessness includes vulnerable people 
living in temporary accommodation, caravan parks or in their own cars. Homelessness can affect people of all ages, men, women, children, from various backgrounds, and can be brought about by poverty, unemployment, domestic family violence or mental health issues. We simply don't see the full reality of homelessness in our communities. It is estimated that on any given night, more than 116,000 people experience homelessness, with many more at risk of becoming homeless. Of this group, more than 16,000 children younger than 12 years are in this mix, and they don't have a safe place to call home. As Marists, what are we being called to do? Our Marist tradition is rooted in the teachings of St. Marcel and Champagne, who emphasised the importance of community and compassion. As Marists, we are called to recognise the dignity and worth of every individual, regardless of their circumstances. As Marists, we stand in unity with those who are marginalised or oppressed and we advocate for change. As Marists, we seek to be those social agents of change to create connections, community and safe places where the least, the forgotten, the dispossessed and the unloved find that warm embrace of a safe home. Today, Marist 180 continues a 132-year tradition of Marists in Australia supporting young people in our communities who are not too dissimilar to those orphans, Champagne, first gave shelter and a place to call home over 200 years ago. More than 730 children and young people in 2022 found bricks and mortar with our Marist 180 team, experiencing that transformative human connection and love. Our mission is far from over. On a sad note, we received the sudden and unexpected passing of one of our colleagues and friend, Raylene Bridges, recently. Raylene was one of our caseworkers in the homelessness team, and her presence made a lasting impact on her close team members, her clients, and our whole Marist 180 family. Now, Raylene joined us in December 2017 as an accommodation support worker at our siding refuge and transitioned into a casework role in 2020. She was a highly regarded member of our team and she will be remembered not only for her professional contributions, but also for the kindness and warmth she extended to all. May Raylene rest in peace. Amen. Hi, it's Tracy here. And this is an article that I wrote for this edition of Christ Life called Celebrating Catholic Communications. Last week, I represented the Marist Association and our publication Christ Life at the Australasian Catholic Press Association's annual conference. This year's conference theme focused on the message from Pope Francis for 2023 World Communications Day, Speaking with the Heart. The Truth in Love, from Ephesians 4.15. 
Pope Francis encourages Catholic media professionals to communicate with open heart and arms. We are all called to seek and to speak the truth and to do so with charity. More than 50 Catholic media and communications professionals attended the conference, reflecting on how we as Catholic communications professionals can listen, speak and communicate with heart, proposing not imposing ourselves, lovingly opening our hearts and minds to understand the profound meaning of what has happened and to tell that story in the creative ways that we do. We heard from a number of inspiring speakers dedicated in their various fields of mission. We were encouraged to tell positive stories, to counter the amount of false, damaging and negative discourse found in news and social media, and to try to influence what young people consume on a daily basis, bringing goodness and truth. I do hope that you, dear readers, agree that the communications and messages the Morris Association produce for you are indeed positive, uplifting and truthful, and prepared with care and consideration. We will continue to strive for excellence and to reflect the life of the Association, its family spirit and its mission. We were blessed to have Archbishop Timothy Costello, SDB, celebrating the Conference Mass at St Mary's Cathedral, Perth. The Archbishop is also the Australian Catholic Bishops' Conference President. He was accompanied by the Vicar General, Father Peter Whiteley, and Parish Priest and ACPA member, Father John Jagoro. Both Marist Old Boys, by the way. It goes without saying that the significant value in attending any professional conference is the networking opportunities it presents. I met many wonderful professional colleagues, some of whom will prove valuable in helping to more widely distribute the good news of our Mara stories amongst the Catholic family in Australia. As always, if any member has a good news story, please let us know. Thank you. Brother Bob O'Connor from the Brothers Community at Marsland House Randwick in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, formerly from the staff at the Hermitage Retreat Centre at Mittagong. This is our Christ Life Reflection on Miriam of Nazareth for September 2023. Marialis Cultus is a significant Marian document issued following Vatican II by Pope Paul VI. It was a response to serious disagreements to the, what was called the Marian crisis among the members of the council as to Miriam's role in the Christian tradition of the time, addressing the question whether Marian devotion would be compatible with the orientations of Vatican II. Marialis Cultus is not a document about Mary's person and role as such, but about the way the church celebrates liturgies that commemorate her and about Marian devotion. The document took four years to prepare before its publication in 1974. Lumen Gentium and Marialis Cultus are significantly the same. They both attempt to retrieve the living memory of Mary. And positioning the traditions of honouring Miriam within the church's liturgy on scriptural-based data and not mere devotionalism. 
And that's a quote from a great Marian scholar published in Marian Studies number 42 in 1991. Father Julian Roten from the Marian International Institute at the Catholic University of Dayton, Ohio. And I quote from the Marialis Cultus document. Particular consideration must be given to those celebrations that commemorate salvific events in which Miriam of Nazareth was closely associated with her son. Such are the feasts of the Nativity of Our Lady, September 8, the hope of the entire world and the dawn of salvation, as it's referred to, and the Visitation, feast May 31, in which the liturgy recalls Miriam carrying her son within her and visiting Elizabeth to offer charitable assistance and to proclaim the mercy of God, the Saviour. Then there is the commemoration of Our Lady of Sorrows, September 15, a fitting occasion for reliving a decisive moment in the history of salvation and for venerating, together with the Son, lifted up on the cross, his suffering mother. The Feast of February 2, which has been given back its ancient name, the Presentation of the Lord, should also be considered as a joint commemoration of the Son and of the Mother, if we are to fully appreciate its rich content. It's the celebration of a mystery of salvation accomplished by Christ, a mystery with which Mary was intimately associated as the mother of the suffering servant of Yahweh as the one who performs a mission belonging to ancient Israel and as the model for the new people of God, which is ever being tested in its faith and hope by suffering and persecution. End of quote. This is Brother Michael Flanagan recording the reflection for the September edition of Christ Life. And uh, I'm a member of the Mascot Association Group. <clears throat> Sometimes we just have to hold out and endure. Let It Be is one of the best known songs ever released by the Beatles, the 6th of March, 1970. It's an interesting song in that it has puzzled many people over the decades as well as appealing to millions with its music and lyrics. Paul McCartney tells the story that he had the idea of Let It Be after he had a dream about his mother during a tense period in 1968. Mary McCartney died of cancer in 1956 when Paul was 14. McCartney later said, it was great to visit with her again. I felt very blessed to have that dream. So that got me writing, let it be. In a later interview, he said that in the dream, his mother had told him, it will be all right, just let it be. In the early days, many of us wondered if the let it be was taken from Mary's words at the Annunciation. And to quote, Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her.
unquote. When asked if the phrase Mother Mary in the song referred to Mary, the mother of Jesus, McCartney says that listeners can interpret the song however they like. Be that as it may, two lines of thought emerge from this iconic song and its story. The first is the appearance in dreams of those who have passed away and whom we loved very much. The second, the wisdom contained in those simple and profound words, let it be. I have heard many stories of people being visited in their dreams by loved ones who have passed. Without exception, the message feeling conveyed is one of reassurance and love. Typically, I'm okay, don't worry about me. I remember a brother telling me once that his recently departed father spoke to him with a clear message to not be concerned about him anymore. In 1882, when Brother Henry Ludique, a novice, died suddenly at 19 years of age in our novitiate at Hunters Hill, his mother, at the hour of his death, had a dream of him in a shroud. If you've not had the pleasure of watching the remarkable movie Summerland, released in 2020, please do so. One of the themes is that the boy, Frank, hears things that others don't. And towards the end, he hears his father communicating with him, although his dad has just been killed in the war. If indeed these things happen, and I believe they do, then it is a precious divine gift. Sullivan Ballou was a Union officer in the Rhode Island militia during the Civil War. He wrote the now famous letter to his wife, Sarah, on July 14, 1861, as he was about to enter the First Battle of Bull Run. He was killed in that battle, aged 32, and his letter was found later among his effects. In a particularly beautiful part of the letter, he asks Sarah not to grieve him dead, but to imagine his spirit still with her and their sons. And quote, If the dead can come back to this earth and flit unseen around those they loved, I shall always be near you. In the gladdest days and in the darkest nights, always, always. And if there be a soft breeze upon your cheek, it shall be my breath as the cool air fans your throbbing temple. It shall be my spirit passing by. It's a lovely thought, our loved ones flitting unseen among us and maybe sending an encouraging message now and then. Why not? Ask yourself if you've ever had a similar dream or if someone has relayed a story to you of such an experience. It's worth a good talking about among your family and friends. Let it be. I remember many years ago reading this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer about the importance in our lives of not filling the gaps, 
but learning to live with them. End quote. There is nothing that can replace the absence of someone dear to us, and one should not even attempt to do so. One must simply hold out and endure it. At first, that sounds very hard, but at the same time, it is also a great comfort. For to the extent the emptiness truly remains unfilled, one remains connected to the other person through it. It is wrong to say that God fills the emptiness. God in no way fills it, but much more leaves it precisely unfilled and thus helps us preserve, even in pain, the authentic relationship. Furthermore, the more beautiful and full the remembrances, the more difficult the separation. But gratitude transforms the torment of memory into silent joy. One bears what was lovely in the past, not as a thorn, but as a precious gift deep within, a hidden treasure of which one can always be certain. End of quote. This advice has been a source of immeasurable comfort to me on dozens of occasions when faced with a gap or absence in my life. I have tried to let it be as it is and hold out. I'm not always successful. It takes a lifetime to learn this wisdom. Gaps appear on the deaths of those we love and value. They come when we mourn opportunities lost and have regrets about things in our past that continue to haunt us. People often are heard to say, if only I had. The trouble with this is that it gets us nowhere, and we can't turn back time or undo things from the past. We need to heed the wisdom of let it be. Gaps can't be filled in and must be accepted and lived with. With Mary, there were many unanswered questions and maybe fears and doubts, but her response was to let it be as you have said. Maybe Paul McCartney's mother was advising him to take a breath, calm down, worry less and work more constructively. It would be a mistake to think that letting things be is a passive mode of living. On the contrary, it is a proactive response to life and the things that life throws at us. Instead of diving in head first or running around in panic mode, we take a long, calm look at the situations we are in and think our way into and through them. I notice as I get older that I have become afraid of many more things, but also, on calm reflection, I can see that many of the fears do not materialise. In rummaging through computer files, I came across this little prayer reflection. I have no idea where I got it, but it is a perfect reminder to all of us of what we have been discussing above. <clears throat> Let your God love you. Be silent, be still, alone, empty before your God. Say nothing. Ask nothing. 
Be silent, be still. Let your God look upon you. That is all. God knows. God understands. God loves you with an enormous love and only wants to look upon you with that generous love. Quiet. Be still. Let your God love you. Thank you. Hi fellow Marists, it's Christy here. I'm the Marist Youth Ministry Regional Assistant for Adelaide and in this article I've written for the September edition of Christ's Life, I talk about our fantastic group of young Marists down here in South Australia. Young Adult Community Thriving in Adelaide Throughout my first year as Regional Assistant in Adelaide, it has been an absolute delight to coordinate a variety of events and activities tailored for our dynamic young adult community, comprising of individuals aged 18 to 25. Standout Pub Forum Among the number of events that I've hosted this year, the Pub Forum held on June 5th was a standout. During this evening, we were honoured to have Michaela Howard-Jones from the Catholic Youth and Young Adult Office as our guest speaker. Michaela conducted an interactive workshop that delved into the thought-provoking theme of What is Your Heaven? On the night of our pub forum, our young adult attendees were afforded a unique opportunity the chance to step up to the microphone and create their very own podcasting snippet, centred around a significant place in their life that evokes a sense of heaven. This interactive session provided a platform for our members to share their personal stories and reflections, fostering a deeper connection within our close-knit community. Popular Espresso Mass Our Espresso Mass has firmly established itself as a beloved and frequently attended event within our thriving young adult community. What sets Espresso Mass apart and makes it particularly appealing to our dynamic young adults often leading busy lives is its early morning scheduling. Commencing at 7.30am, this event occurs every fortnight accommodating the hectic schedules of our enthusiastic participants. Enriching Young Adult Retreat In late June, I had the privilege of joining three other dedicated Adelaide Marists in attending the Young Adult Retreat, which was set amidst the picturesque surroundings of the Hermitage in Mittagon. This experience was nothing short of extraordinary, as it provided us with a unique opportunity to deepen our bonds and foster connections with like-minded individuals all the while having the pleasure of meeting young Maris from New South Wales and Victoria. Throughout the weekend, we engaged in meaningful reflections and embarked on scenic walks around the beautiful farmland. I wholeheartedly recommend this enriching retreat to any young adults who seek the opportunity to engage in self-discovery and develop a deeper understanding of the Maris ethos. 
it truly was a weekend to remember and cherish. Reconnecting at Mara's Soup Kitchen In May, I held a soup kitchen at Sacred Heart College for both our young adults and students. This was a lovely opportunity for old scholars from Sacred Heart College to reconnect with their Maris roots and connect with the next generation of students in our Maris Game Changers program. The success and sense of community that we experienced during the May Soup Kitchen has inspired us to take it a step further. Therefore, in October, I'm hosting another soup kitchen and this time I'm looking to extend our Maris connections by inviting Aquinas College, a Maris tertiary boarding school catering to university students from rural communities in South Australia. This upcoming event promises to be a fantastic opportunity to cultivate new relationships and strengthen our Maris network. Maris values and giving back. The thriving young adult community in Adelaide holds a truly special place in my heart. What sets this community apart is its unwavering commitment to giving back to those in our wider community who are facing hardship, all the while keeping our Maris family values at the forefront of our actions. It's nothing short of incredible. The relationships I've made within Maris Youth Ministry, particularly with the young adults, are invaluable and the fulfilment I receive from leading and engaging in Maris Young Adult events continues to drive my passion for working alongside others for the greater good, which Marcelin Champagne also valued so highly. As I reflect on my journey as the regional assistant in Adelaide, I'm filled with immense gratitude for the experiences I've had thus far. I'm also brimming with excitement for the promising future events that lie ahead, which I'm confident will further strengthen our sense of community and purpose. Thanks so much for having me on this edition of Christ Life. Hello, this is Pat O'Reilly, Director of Mission and Identity for Maris 180, and this is Maris 180's September article for Christ Life. Brother Angel Diego, Director of the Secretariat for Solidarity, visits Maris 180. September 4, we were delighted to welcome Brother Angel and Brother Chris Wills to Maris 180. Prior to the arrival of Brothers Angel and Brother Chris, we were keen to better understand the work of the Secretariat and the role Brother Angel plays as Director. Secretariat is a structure created by the Maris Institute to encourage, coordinate and strengthen solidarity throughout the Marist world. Secretariat is focused on the areas of education in solidarity, children's rights, integral ecology, social work, project development, refugees, immigrants and Indigenous peoples. Reflecting on our services and ministries across a variety of these areas, it came as no surprise as to why Brother Arnhel was keen to visit us. Brother Arnhel and Brother Chris spent time visiting both Daramu and the Lavalla office. They engaged keenly and closely as members of the Maris 180 presented to our visitors our work generally and, in particular, our work with First Nations children and young people 
and unaccompanied humanitarian minors. In the input, reflections, the questions posed and answers given, we explored our vision and mission and how this expresses itself in goals, targets and ideal outcomes. And in doing this offered many anecdotal good news stories to inform and contextualise our services. Solidarity, as we know, expresses itself in many forms. From the large scale and famous, like the Polish trade union, credited with ending communism in Poland, to the daily simple personal expressions, all Marists are reminded, challenged and called to solidarity with each other and all of creation. Solidarity is at once in the here and now, the local and the global, the present moment and the aspirational future promise. To borrow from the words of someone who lives solidarity authentically, St. Oscar Romero, we are workers, not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. Each Thursday, staff at Maris 180 are invited to a time of reflection and prayer. These words from Marrero are part of our weekly gathering. They remind, refresh and return us to ourselves and our small part in earth's citizenry and welcoming God's reign. Hi Maris friends, this is Adam from Australian Maris Solidarity. And this month, Australian Maris Solidarity presents the Maris Champagne Institute, a case study. In Fiji, mainstream schools are unable to offer additional assistance to students who fall behind the curriculum due to an unrecognised learning difficulty, for example, autism and dyslexia. The lack of a personalised learning plan to overcome their learning difficulties means students potentially become ostracised, leading to poor self-esteem and social issues, with many leaving schooling altogether. The Maris Champagne Institute, or MCI, aims to provide basic literacy and numeracy development that enables either a return to mainstream schooling, a transition into MCI's vocational training program, or access to employment opportunities. Established in 2000, MCI is the only post-primary school in Fiji for those with learning difficulties and special needs. Brother Keyes van der Weert is a founding staff member of MCI. The subjects he teaches are language, religious education and computing. He is the coordinator for incoming funds and visiting immersion groups. The following story was received from Brother Keyes in June of this year. Allow me to introduce you to Sophie, whose name we've changed for privacy reasons. Sophie is currently in her final year at MCI. She began in 2019. She had some literacy skills, but as she herself admitted, she struggled at primary school with reading, spelling and calculations. She was enrolled by her auntie, with whom she stays and the family lives in Wailakutu. Her primary school was nearby, Chauhan Memorial Primary School. Wailakutu is a small settlement outside of Suva on the main road to Nandi. Sophie has to catch two buses to school each day the first to the central city bus stand, and then further bus which takes her to the suburb of Vatuaka, where MCI is situated. Sophie travels two hours each day to reach school. 
At MCI, a student will spend the first two years in numeracy and literacy development. The second two years will be for a focus on a vocational subject, from a choice of agriculture, catering and tailoring, woodwork, engineering and computer and office skills. Sophie elected the computer and office skills classes. She picked up quickly on the various skills associated with the subject, and she's become confident and competent in this area. From photocopying, binding, laminating, to answering and taking phone messages, Sophie quietly and confidently takes on tasks. She heads the student team which sets up and runs the laptop and data projector for the school masses and other school assemblies. Of late, she's also assisted in the school office, working with the secretary to undertake photocopying tasks as well as answering the phone. These skills that she has acquired will stand her in good stead when she leaves school at the end of the year and looks to either find a secretarial job or further her education at a tertiary institute. Brother Keys has been impressed by her entrepreneurial skills. Recently, she baked just over 100 cupcakes and then went on to sell them at an open market to raise money to enable her to attend the secondary school's athletics competition. She has also resurrected the seven iPads held in the computer part department and now has them all functioning thanks to her gaining knowledge while having spent time on a friend's iPhone. And just to show that it's not all techniques, she also plays in the defender position for the school's under-19 netball team. Brother Keys is proud to see that Sophie has definitely benefited from her time at MCI. Sophie's is just one of the many stories that we speak of the impact of Mars projects throughout the Asia-Pacific region. Sophie's is just one of many stories that speak of the impact of Mars projects throughout the Asia-Pacific region. Through the encouragement and donations of AMS supporters, young people like Sophie have access to a brighter future. This is Brother Michael Flanagan, the Province Archivist, reading the archive article for Christ Life, September 2023. The article is called Piecing the Story Together, Analyzing Four Primary Documents. In 1909, Australia was a nation of just over 4 million people. The average annual wage was 46 pounds and the infant mortality rate was about 103 deaths per 1,000 births. War was just around the corner and many of the boys in the first photo would have been embroiled in it. HMAS Australia was ordered by the federal government to be the cornerstone of the developing Royal Australian Navy. This was the year in which Mary MacKillop died at North Sydney. There were 5,000 nuns in Australia and the two largest orders of brothers were the Christian brothers and the Maris brothers. Between 1900 and 1915, there were five Maris provincials in Australia and the period was one of consolidation rather than growth. COGRA was opened in 1909 upon the closure of Haymarket. Our junior eight was at St Joseph's in Sydney and boys came from across Australia and New Zealand to see if their vocation was to be a brother. The stories of two of the boys in the photo who became brothers, 
Brother Herman Mason, 1895 to 1937. Oliver Mason was born in Tamworth, New South Wales in 1895. He entered the junior aid at St Mary's in 1909, where he did extremely well in his studies and was then received into the Institute at Mittagong as Brother Herman Mary in 1913. He found teaching very difficult and enjoyed tutoring much more. He developed Parkinson's and asked to be sent to Fiji. Herman stayed in Suva for nine years and ended his days in extreme ill health. He was considered the most charitable of men, amiable, kindly and humorous, and ever ready to share the treasures of his well-stocked mind or to enjoy a good joke. Brother Wilfred Donald Matheson, 1894 to 1949. Donald Matheson was born at Bendigo, where his parents were hotel keepers. He and his brother, Eric, who became Brother Norbert, were pupils at our school in the town. Donald entered the junior eight at Hunters Hill in 1907. He passed the senior examination brilliantly in 1912. At various times, he taught at St Joseph's, West Maitland, New Norcia, Bendigo and Kilmore. While at New Norcia, he graduated in arts from the University of Western Australia and developed a deep, abiding interest in the flora of that state, on which topic he wrote articles. He was a keen experimenter also in the early days of radio and cinema. In the late 20s, a throat condition ended his teaching career and among various roles, he became the bursar at St Joseph's. A week before the college resumed in 1949, he went by car to the mountains to gather ferns in a valley. There he suffered a fatal heart attack. Brother Wilfred was 54 years old and had been a brother for 35 years. Our fourth primary document is a picture of the pupils and teachers of the Mara schools in West Maitland in 1920, taken on breakup day. On the reverse in handwriting done in pencil, it states it is from the estate of Josie Fitzpatrick. We have noticed a Christian Fitzpatrick in the junior eight photo. He became Brother Theodore. Josie is possibly a sister or sister-in-law. The inscription also states that Brother Theodore is in this photo. However, Theodore was never at Maitland. The person mistaken for him is, indeed, his own brother, Patrick, Brother Patricius. He is the brother second from the right of the group of brothers in the centre of the photo. Born in Bendigo, both Fitzpatrick boys became excellent teachers and popular and devoted brothers. Sadly, both passed away relatively young within six years of each other. Brother Patricius, Patrick Fitzpatrick, 
12th of March 1900 to 8 November 1960. Patrick entered the junior eight at Hunters Hill in 1912 and was in the first group to sit for the leaving certificate. He made his novitiate at Mittagong, 1919 to 1920. After profession, he was appointed to West Maitland, where full secondary classes had been recently formed. Then, as a vigorous young brother, Brother Patricius taught on the juniorate staff, interested in all sports, playing and coaching, revelling in manual activities. He was a favourite with juniors and brothers. His devotedness was apparent above all in the classroom, where his strength lay in maths and science. Brother Patricius taught senior classes also at Darlinghurst, St Joseph's, Ashgrove, Kilmore, New Norcia for many years, Broken Hill, Sale, he was director there in the Depression, and at Forbes as director when the college was transferred from Johnson Street in town to the Red Bend property on the Lachlan River. Brother Patricius is remembered for his cheerfulness and sense of humour, for his helpful kindness and a calm dignity of character and bearing, which won the respect of all. Brother Theodore Christian Fitzpatrick, 22nd August 1896 to 26 December 1954. He began to teach at Dunninghurst. Brother Theodore spent most of his life teaching in the colleges at Kilmore three times, New Norcia, Sale, Forbes, Glenelg. Later, he taught at Camberwell and Warrigal. He was highly intelligent, an able teacher, a delightful confrere and an accomplished cricketer. Our first primary document was a picture of the juniors at St Joseph's College, Hunters Hill, in July 1909. And we're told by Brother Morris Bartlett that 12 of these boys became brothers and remained so all their lives. In 1973, brothers Aidan, DeSales and Canisius were still alive. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed this podcast and that you're inspired to meet and gather with your fellow Morris in your local groups and to continue in your special way the work of St Marcelin Champagne. Blessings to you all. Have a great day and we'll be back for the Christ Life October edition. St Marcelin Champagne, pray for us and may we always remember to pray for one another. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.